You can turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We have been studying Ephesians. We're going to take a break. Uh, This is Missions Week. And the theme of our Missions Week, in keeping with the recent series on the church, the theme is the church and her mission. So I decided to use this opportunity to return one last time to our study of the church. May may not be the last time ultimately, but the last time in this season anyway. Maybe you think we've squeezed all we can out of the discussion of the church. Four sermons by Dr. Young, two lessons in here, but I'm going to revisit it. Maybe there will be some repeating, but hopefully you can look back at this time in the life of our church and uh, this will have shaped us. According to God's will. So, before you read our, we read our passage. Let me remind you of a couple things, um, or a few things. Number one, Jesus is alive. Number two, He rules and reigns in heaven as the head over all things. Uh, he rose from the dead. He went back to heaven. God the Father gave him authority as head over everything, heaven and earth. Number three, He establishes His rule and reign over all things in and through the church. So um, this means that the church is at the heart of um, the God's plan for the world, and it means that mission, God's mission, is at the heart of our existence. Jesus didn't save us to leave us here until He returns. He saved us, He gathered us into the church, and He intends to use us uh, in His mission to save the world. So we have looked at the Great Commission, Matthew 28, Jesus rose from the dead. He appears to His disciples. He gives them the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I will be with you until the end of the age. So this Great Commission, as Dr. Young loves to say, is still binding. Uh, It's still in effect until the end of the age. And Jesus will remain with us until the Great Commission is complete. He then told his people after he gives the Great Commission the first time, he he says, well, I'm going to go back to heaven um, and you should go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit who I will send when I get back to heaven to empower you to carry out this Great Commission. So the Spirit comes at the beginning of Acts chapter 2. And um, one of the things that I've pointed out to you is that as you follow along in the narrative of the New Testament, we find that the establishment of local churches is central to the execution of the Great Commission. So, okay, Great Commission, what does that mean, make disciples? Well, we at least see that a a central part of what it means is the establishment of local churches, um, like the churches at Philippi, Thessalonica, Ephesus, Colossae, all these books that we have in the New Testament, Paul's writing to churches, churches that he established, and churches are uh, pillars of truth, they are they are central to making disciples. Disciples are made in the church. But before we get to those churches at Rome and Galatia and Colossae and Philippi, Thessalonica, all those churches, before we get there, we see the church as it began in Jerusalem. That's in Acts chapter two, forty-two through forty-seven, and that is our text for today. So. Uh, The Spirit comes, fills God's people, empowers them, us, to carry on the Great Commission. Um, But particularly in this instance, the first giving of the Spirit to empower God's people to carry on the Great Commission, that's the beginning of Acts 2. 
The next thing we see is Peter, weak Peter, who had just denied Jesus three times. Weak Peter is transformed into a bold leader, and he preaches the first Christian sermon. That's in Acts 2, 14 through 40. In verse 41, we find that the response to Peter's first sermon was that the Holy Spirit was poured out on even more people, lots more. The church grew from under 100 to about 3,000 the first day. So, there you have it. The very next thing we find after that, verses 42 through 47, is an inside look into the life of the first Christian church. So, Acts 2, 42 to 47, follows I read. This is the Word of God. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Amen. Um, So I've talked over and again about how at the core of the church's identity is mission. This church was no different. For example, if you travel forward in the pages of Acts, we find that uh, members of this church were boldly proclaiming the gospel in hostile settings. Peter had just done that, and, um, and they go on to do that more. Not only that, we find that more and more churches are being started or planted in these places. So this church was very outward focused, very mission oriented, um, and a couple marks of that are evangelism, bold proclamation of the gospel, and church planting. But the thing that, distri- that strikes me about this description of the church in Acts 2, 42-47, it, it, its focus, it seems, was primarily upward and inward. In fact, um, the only thing outward focused in this list describing the first church is the fact that they had favor with all men, and that the Lord was adding to their number every day. So look at the list. Um, It says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. So they were devoted to hearing from God. They were devoted to praying to God and worshiping God every day in the temple. They were together every day in the temple and and eating together in their homes. And uh, they gave to each other as anyone had need. So... This description of the early church is heavily focused upward to God and inward within the the church community. Now, that's not to say we do away with the fact that they were very evangelistic. I mean, just a a few verses later in chapter 3, Peter's going to preach again in Solomon's portico. In chapter 4, Peter and John are going to evangelize the council. Uh, And then you move forward to a few chapters and Stephen evangelizes the high priest and everyone else, and then he gets killed for it. So, I mean... They're boldly proclaiming the gospel, and they're going. All areas are unconverted at that point, right? I mean, this is the beginning. This is the initial spread. So, again, I'm not trying to pit these things against each other. Um, evangelism, church planning are key ways to reach the world, but we can see here that so are worshiping God and establishing a faithful biblical community life. So today, we're going to focus on the latter. 
Um, we're going to focus on what Acts 2, 42-47 focuses on, establishing a faithful biblical community life. This Holy Spirit-empowered community of God's people, the first Christian church, they were not only focused on reaching outside the walls, they were also concerned to be strengthened within the walls. So, um, wherever there are weaknesses in our church, in the church, uh, in reaching the world, maybe our weaknesses in reaching the world are, they not only have to do with a weakness in evangelism, maybe they also have to do with a weakness in community life. Uh, Acts 2, 42-47 really serves as a litmus test. It also serves to instruct us in, in the right way. So let's work through some of these things. The first thing we see is that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now, mind you, the apostles were alive at that time, and they had them there, and they were all together. And so it was pretty easy for the apostles to be teaching these even 3,000 people. There are quite a few apostles. There's quite a few people. The apostles are teaching. And the apostles are the messengers from God who are carrying His very Word in them, speaking it, and of course writing it down, which is what we have. So um, we also have the apostles' teaching. We just don't have it in the same way that they had it. They had it as the apostles spoke. We have it through the apostles' writing down. Neither is better than the other. Um, Both are equally inspired by the Holy Spirit. All to say, they were committed to the apostles' teaching. We too... um, can be committed to the apostles' teaching because we have the apostles' teaching in the Scriptures. They were devoted to the Scriptures. It says that they were in the temple every day, day by day, attending the temple together. And you get the sense they were devoted to the Scriptures. You get the sense that uh, they hung on every word of this apostles' teaching. Tell us, God, what it is that you would have us do. Might we be marked by that same kind of devotion and, and I'm not talking about that we would be known primarily for certain theological distinctives. I, that's all fine and good, and, and we have those. But might we be known primarily for a wholehearted devotion to the Scriptures such that marked the early church? Might we hang on God's every word? And if we come across something in the Scriptures that corrects our thinking or calls us Uh, to repentance or different action, might we change? Because we're devoted to the Scriptures. Because the Scripture is the authority for all of life. Because God speaks through what He has already spoken uh, through the apostles. He speaks to us in the Scriptures. The second thing that we see is that they were devoted to the fellowship. Um, Now, we tend to think about fellowship as food and conversation, you know, what we do before class and that sort of thing. And that's a part of it, but it's also much more. Um, The word is koinonia, and it's probably an umbrella term for everything that we find in this section. There's a lot packed into that word. Um, The fellowship, it says they're devoted to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, and that they were devoted to the fellowship is another way of saying they were devoted to the community life, and it probably includes all of the things that we're reading in verses 42 to 47 like attending the temple daily in worship, eating together daily in their homes, giving to uh, anyone as they had need. So what we find in Acts 2, 42-47 is a description of the first church's community life. A couple observations. Um, 
their community life was very Godward. You don't get the sense that this group was marked by trivial pursuits. I mean, they, they put everything on hold. They went and waited for the Spirit, and He comes. And uh, then, you know, this mission is marking the first followers, uh, the, the disciples and the other 70 or to 100 that were there. And you have to believe that that bled into this 3,000 that were added to their number. And it's very much a mission-oriented people. Um, and, and even in the sharing of meals in their homes, it, there's a couple places in the passage it says they were, they were awe-inspired. There was awe in their hearts, and they were praising God, and they were thankful to God, and they had glad and generous hearts. Um, so I can only imagine that uh, those meetings were not marked by or known for trivial conversation. Awe had come upon their soul. They were God's people on God's mission. They were thankful for everything they had. Uh, They were glad and generous. They were praising God and they had favor with all men. So uh, the thing that strikes me is that this Godwardness is what causes them to have favor with all men. The world is hungry for something more than what it finds in its country clubs, in its different community gatherings, in its sports teams. Perhaps, again, uh, just generally, one of the reasons that the church has been ineffective in reaching the world from time to time is because the church can tend to be just the world light. You know? I mean, well, we're not going to do everything bad like them, but maybe there's not going to be a ton of substance uh, either. When I was lost, I know I I wanted nothing to do with half-hearted Christians because um, I felt like I was all in and I saw some people that weren't. The church has so much more to offer. It it was the substance of the fellowship that drew people in. People are hungry. They long for something more. I I think a great example of this, um, again, and I've mentioned before, but is Jeannie Wolliver, who comes to a very tragic funeral of uh, David and Jessica's son. And she is so struck by the love poured out on their family and the substantial caring for this family in their time of need. She evaluates her own life in light of that and says, I just don't think that uh, that would be me. I don't think I have people like that. And so um, that's obviously very encouraging. That is what God used to draw her in. And I think that's what's happening in the early church. There's such substance to the fellowship that people are being drawn in because they're saying, we're not finding that out here. We we're, we got a lot of things, but we don't have that. And um, you know, might that be sustained in our day-to-day living? As I look, I'm, I'm encouraged that we're heading in this direction. I think more and more, um, you know, people can come here and find substantial worship, substantial friendships, um, you know, substantial care for people in their sufferings, and uh, might God grow us all the more and, and strengthen us, uh, sustain us all the more in our day-to-day. The next point... Um, They were giving to anyone as they had need. Now, I know you can read that and kind of go, you know, I think some people get nervous, and particularly if you're a very conservative Republican, it sounds like communism or something. You know, uh, I mean, everything, everyone, they're like giving all that, what are they, I mean, is there no right to private property anymore? Is this some, you know, Jesus form of communism? Really, it's just the opposite, and the text tells us that. They were selling their possessions 
and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all. So it assumes private property. They owned it. Um, It wasn't that they did away with private property. They just had a right view of private property. What do we have that we did not receive from the Lord? It's really all His. Yeah, we own it in one sense, but we don't own it in another. He gives us everything we have. So, really, it's not generous giving unless it's private property. Right? If it's communism, that's not generosity. That's the strong arm of the state. It was generous because it was theirs. And they were giving it away with glad and generous hearts. So, might we be a community like the early church whose giving outshines our getting? That, that it could be written of us and said of us that, uh, yeah, we had private property, but the thing that marked us more than the fact that we had it was that we couldn't keep it because we saw that there was need and we gave it away. Um, lots of applications, but here's one. There are lots of needs that arise around this church that you may or may not hear about. Um, probably that most of them you don't. But there are quite a few that uh, elders or the missions committee deals with. And I'm talking about internal needs. Someone loses their job. Someone loses a spouse. You name it. Um, So the first application, or really the only thing I'll say, uh, is to talk about tithe and offering. And, you know, we don't do that much around here, but I don't want to shy away from it because really... That's the model that the Bible gives us, is that we give our tithe and our offering to the church, and the church has established leadership who distributes as any have need. Um, So that's both within and without. We have lots of missions giving and things like that, but there's lots of internal giving too. And so you, you read this and you say, well, golly, how can I participate in this? Do I need to sell my house? Well, one thing that you can do is you can make it numero uno, top priority, first line item on the budget, I'm going to give to my church. Um, And I'm going to give above and beyond to my church. I'm going to give the normal tithe, and I'm going to give even more to the missions committee, or whatever it may be. But just to say, a practical application of this text is, I'm going to give, and we will distribute as any have need. The next thing. It says that they attended the temple together daily. Day by day, they were in the temple together, it says in verse 46. So uh, here I want to address a popular train of thought that says something like this. The church has too many programs. There's, there's too much going on in the church. Uh, how are we supposed to reach the world if all we ever do is come to church? And I'm not saying we don't have too many programs and we couldn't cut one somewhere, but what I want to say is that that line of thinking is a false dichotomy. The whole, how are we going to reach the world if we're always at the church? This says that the first church attended the temple together every day. And they ate together daily in their homes. So, um, I don't think they had a hard time reaching the world. I mean, we're here because of their, their participation in the mission. But don't pit those things against each other because it's a false dichotomy. Recently, I had a breakfast with a guy who is a potential speaker for one of our, one of our men's events. And uh, de- during the course of our conversation, he made it very well known that he had a very low view of the of church community. When he said things like, the church isn't the building, it's the people. 
And I understand that. You know, I've, I've spoken about that before. But then he says, we're not that concerned really to be there on Sunday mornings. If I can be at a baseball field coaching my son's team with non-believers, well, that's where we're really being the church, Christians with non-Christians. That's not true. The first church met together every day. And they had quite an impact on the world. So you can't have one or the other. It's both. Not only should Sundays be top priority, but the day-by-day gathering together. Look, I'm, I'm not saying... I, I think that we can apply this in our context and, and, and be gracious at the same time. We probably need to evaluate our context a little bit. I mean, we're probably too busy. We probably have umpteen things pulling us away from the regular gathering as God's people that don't need to stay. And you might think this sounds crazy, but maybe we're the crazy ones. This wasn't just the first church either. I was recently reading uh, a biography on John Calvin, and I learned that John Calvin preached every day, like hour-long sermons every day. Now, he would preach 10 days in a row, and then he would take a week off, and then he would preach 10 days in a row. So there was someone else sharing the preaching duties with him. But the point is, um, they were gathering for worship in the 1500s, 1600s every day. I mean, I don't know, every morning for work or something like that. All to say, if, if maybe we could look at this and go, well, that was just a unique context and all of that. Well, it carried on for 1500, 1600 years. And uh, the Reformation and John Calvin, some probably outside of the Bible, the most influential movement of God in history was marked by the same thing. Again, I'm not saying that means this day, this day, this day. I'm just trying to say it's not crazy. You know, it's, it's right and good for God's people to gather together all the time. Um, the church is the hub of our lives. And, you know, again, I return to the blessing it is for us to be on a church staff because I have to be here. But... Um, because I've had to have been here, I now want to be here because I get to participate in that blessing, the gathering of God's people together corporately, regularly. Even like Saturday, you know, and again, this is gathering of God's people. We were in Fraser, but whatever. Um, you know, not every gathering is significant. A lot of times you may go to church and say, I'm not sure if there was anything in there for me. I think there was, even though if it didn't register... Um, that's okay. God does things that are unseen to the eye in our hearts that we may not know that He's doing just as we are under the teaching and preaching of the Word. Um, you, you have thoughts as you listen to a sermon that you can't remember 37 minutes later, but that changed something as you're listening. You know what I mean? That said, Saturday was one of the more profound things, and I just was reminded, you know, I, I said to somebody... About, uh, I, I knew that it was from God after about the third day of me really not wanting to go. Because the flesh hates the things of God. And we are two people, the flesh and the spirit. And any time, it's like, it's amazing. Any time that I'm just loathing something, I've learned enough now to say, that's probably going to be pretty good, you know. Uh, and, and it was, I thought that. I literally had that thought about this. And my mind changed about it like that morning. I said, I've been not looking forward to this all week. That probably means I should go. And it was just beautiful, wonderful, strong, life-changing, good. Not all the events are that way, but it's as we gather together, there are things that God does to kind of 
take us along in our growth and maturity in Christ. Um, again, now, I can't empathize. I do want to sympathize with you. You guys have to fight harder for that than I do. You just do. I, I get fired. You know, you don't. And again, I realize part of my job is to be here all the time. I'm not saying eight to five, you better be here walking around. But just the regular gathering of God's people, you're going to have to fight harder than me um, because, you know, job security is not tied in. But that said, I've, I've seen it and learned it to be a great blessing, um, even though maybe I didn't start by viewing it that way. Finally, they ate together day by day. Day by day, eating together in their homes. Verse 46. So, um, again, we might say, all this meeting together, we must not really care about reaching the world. Our not reaching the world will not be because we're here too much, uh, meeting together too much. It didn't hinder the early church. Think about it like this. Well, think about it like Jeannie. I mean, the example of her, you know, just her connection with Jessica at work and Jessica's son dies and Jeannie comes to the funeral and gets brought in. Like, there's this organic connection that we have in our relationships with people in all walks of life. Um, And even in our day with social media, one of the beautiful things is it's easier than it's ever been to stay connected with people in our lives, whether that be from elementary school or high school or college or that old job or whatever it is, um, and even if just through texting or messaging or whatever, we can invite people into the day-to-day. People can be invited into the worship of God, the fellowship of His people, um, be that in the temple, so to speak, or in the gathering together of our, in our homes. So, again, there's some repetition in this series on the church. I think that's good. Um, And there's some repetition in my applications, and it may feel like some of you may feel like you're being bludgeoned with this. It's not the intention, um, but the application is be here. I thought about it like this. People that play competitive sports. I played competitive sports growing up. I played 90 games a summer in baseball when I was 9 and 10 and 11 and 12 years old, which basically means there's nothing else that you can do except play baseball. But... People that play competitive sports are committed to being there every day, right? Because it's a priority. The church is top priority for God's people. Um, next thing, you may not have people in your home every day, but and this is what I said the last time, but you can set one day a week. In fact, I don't think it'll work if you're just always thinking about like kind of Loosely, we should get together with them, we should get together with them. Maybe what we should do first is set a day that works. It'll have to be sacrificial. It's not going to be easy, but set a day that works to say, this is the day that I'm going to have people into my home. Uh, Sometimes it's going to be people from the church, sometimes people not. Sometimes I'll have people from the church and people not from the church. But uh, what has come to work for us is Tuesday. And, um, you know, again, it's not an easy day, but it is a day that we're trying. Do we have every Tuesday? No, we don't have every Tuesday. Things happen. But it's become a priority that we would like to continue to have people in our home um, in an effort to see some of this take place, right? To see some of this establishing of the fellowship. Um, Anybody have any questions? or pushbacks or thoughts.
will be over tonight for dinner at your place? Yeah. No, actually, at, at your place here at the church. Um, no, it's, uh, you know, I think the, uh, the best way to always finish is this. Um, these things can feel like duty. I don't think that's bad. I don't think that duty is bad. I don't think duty is a bad word. Um, I think it's there's there's discipline in uh, living the life that God has called us to live. But we have to remember that that life is fueled by God's grace. And wherever you get convicted, wherever you're realizing that you've fallen short, wherever uh, you have realized that your thoughts have been wrong about the church or about God and about His mission and about the role that you play, there's grace. It is finished. You're forgiven. Um, we always have to come back to that. That is our start, po- starting point, our finish line, and uh, everything in between. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. It is the fuel that drives us home. So, remember the gospel. And establish new disciplines. Those things aren't in competition, but let the gospel run over you and and free you from the burdens of feeling like I have to perform at a certain level to be loved by God. Not true. You're loved by God as fully now as you could ever be in Christ. And He didn't save us and immediately take us home. He didn't save us and leave us here uh, to wait for Him to come home primarily, though that is a part of it. He also saved us in order to participate with His mission. So, may that be um, what we do. Yes? I have a question. Good. Uh, so, uh, Jessica and I were looking at the calendar yesterday, and I'm sure this is similar for most people in here, but like you're saying, it's like chock full. Like, where do we squeeze this next priority in? So inviting people over every week or increasing the amount of times that we go to church is seems huge. Yeah. So uh, what in your mind would be a good place to start? Yeah. Because that could be a hundred and eighty turn for you know even us. Sure. So that's a big turn. That that's a great question. This is what I would say. Um, don't hurry it or it won't stick. Perhaps take a season of praying and uh, fasting and uh, analyzing and take all of the things that you're committed to and all of your priorities and, and put them on a paper and get one of those huge big wall calendars and turn the paper around backwards or a whiteboard and go to work and write out all of these things and say, okay, these are all the things that we do and this is all the places that we're going. What are our priorities? I'll leave that to uh, God and your conscience to establish those. I've obviously tried to present where I believe they should be. But I think that's a good place to start, is to say, don't go home today and get in a hurry to make your life better. Um, It won't last. You know, go home, and if there's conviction and there's needed confession of sin or repentance, then take that up with the Lord and... And take your time. Some of you are in, uh, you're going to have a baby in a month, and, you know, that's a pretty reasonable excuse. Not even an excuse. It's a great, wonderful, celebratory reason to, you know, take a little sabbatical. Let the child learn how to sleep. You know, you're going to want to, you're going to want to kill each other here in about six weeks. And, uh, 
love each other. So all to say, I say all that. I also want to say it is possible to radically change the priorities in your home. Um, I've seen it happen with us, and I've seen that become actually a refuge for rest and replenishing. Um, so both and. Don't rush it, but there are priorities that need to change. I think seasons is a really important word because they're definitely good seasons for us. It's not the one soccer practice. Sure. No way. Not doing it, not getting there. <clears throat> Whatever. And I think there's times That's great. You know, if we didn't have a calendar, I don't know how y'all organize your life. If we didn't have a calendar, we wouldn't survive. I mean, it would be very bad. So uh, I have one on my phone. We have one at home. And we just kind of, you know, mix and match. And and however, um, but all to say, one of the things that has really helped me in my day-to-day, week-to-week, is I try to spend one day or one morning a week kind of planning out the week and then even a little bit of time every day kind of planning out the day. Well, it's the same thing for months and seasons. You know, if you just take a time to reevaluate every... I know Jonathan Todd says that they reevaluate their children's schooling every semester. Now, that may seem exhausting, but the principle of just set a date on the calendar four months from now to reevaluate what you've already reevaluated and just be nimble. You know, some seasons these priorities are going to shift. Though... I don't think we can say that the top priority being in the church, for the church, for Christ, for His mission, should ever shift from being top for God's people. Let's pray. Father in heaven, um, I pray that you would order us aright as uh, you intend us to live. Lord, uh, where I have erred, will you help people to forget? And where... You have um, led and prompted and spoken. Would you, would you plant those things in us? Um, what we often find, Lord, is we lose ourselves to find it. It is just true. And we may feel like we're losing ourselves even more in, in new priorities and more commitments. At the same time, we find that that is exactly where we find our rest and peace and replenishing um, in, in the, the structures that you've set up. And so give us wisdom, give us grace. Uh, I pray that um, there would be remembering that y- you have done it all and paid it all and won it all and did it right. And that pressure to do it right, to be loved by God is not on us. We are loved eternally, perfectly now in Christ. And I pray that in response to that, we would order our lives um, by your grace with uh, godly discipline to um, better reflect you, better know you, better love you, follow you, and serve with you in your mission. Establish us in that, Lord. We love you. We, We praise you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.